Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Crown of Life as we uh, begin worship today. Before we do begin worship, we have a Wells connection that we're going to view, so I'll direct your attention to the screen. President Mark Schrader. Imagine a time 10 or 20 years from now. Who will be the new pastor at the church your son or daughter attends? Who will be the teacher of your grandchildren? Odds are those future pastors and teachers are already in training in one of our Wells Ministerial Education Schools. Wells Ministerial Education Schools are today preparing the pastors and teachers who will serve our churches for many decades to come. In classrooms like this, a legacy is passed from one generation to the next. The second week I was there, we all met in the... These professors instill years and years of parish ministry experience and classroom experience. Their love for Jesus just shines through in a classroom in a way that I, I didn't even know was possible. For students like Doug Van Sice, this final year of seminary training is the capstone of more than a decade in our ministerial education schools, all focused on preparing the highly qualified, gospel-trained leaders our church body needs going forward. And I think that's where the value of our training system comes in, from a little child all the way through a 25-year-old like, like I am. I think a system like this is invaluable. Before his time at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, Doug spent four years at Martin Luther College, and before that, four years of high school at Michigan Lutheran Seminary. Daily opportunities to grow your faith in, these, in our training system, growing in God's Word, getting a well-rounded education in, in all of these subjects sets you up super, super well for what you want to do I think the Lord is providing us with new, a new generation of kids who will take his word, are learning to hang on to that unchanging word, and then apply it to a changing world. All the years of preparation at our ministerial education schools leads to this, graduation day. Each year, hundreds of students graduate from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, Martin Luther College, Luther Preparatory School, and Michigan Lutheran Seminary. These ceremonies might seem to mark an ending, the conclusion of a student's education. But, in truth, this is about beginnings, the first step in a life of ministry. Now a graduate, Reverend Doug Van Sice was called to a mission congregation in North Carolina, beginning his journey of service. Love people, love Jesus, and tell people about the love of Jesus. That's the whole reason why I became a pastor in the first place, is because of that, that hope that I have, and I don't want other people to miss out on this hope. The start of a new school year means thousands of young people entering not just our ministerial education schools, but also the many area Lutheran high schools, elementary schools, early childhood centers, and more. A new generation who will carry the good news forward. Keep encouraging the young people in your family and in your congregation to consider preparing for the public ministry. And continue to ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. If you are interested in more information, um, please speak with me afterwards. We have some, some handouts in the back um, that you can look through. And um, if you have any questions about the education system, please, yeah, if you want anyone encouraged, please talk to me. I would be glad to encourage them to study for, for God's ministry. 
Um, today we open our, our service with the first hymn, hymn 469, found in your red hymnal. Um, the, the tune in the hymnal is not the tune that we're going to be using, and the last uh, refrain will be, or last sentence will be repeated in a song, but uh, Mike will lead us in the, the song. So we begin our, our service with the theme, It's God Who Blesses. So may God bless our worship today. follow the order of worship today found in your bulletin beginning on page one. We begin our worship and praise the same way we were baptized. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let us confess our sins to our God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. Cleanse me and wash me, so that I can be clean in your sight. We sing, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, on page two. privilege as a called servant of God to declare to you that Jesus Christ was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brought you peace was upon him, and by his stripes you are forgiven. Amen. Congregation may be seated. first lesson is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will be certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Continue on page uh, three with the first verse of I love to tell the story.
The second lesson comes from the book of Philemon, verses 1 and 10 through 21. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing, with the, writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Continue at the bottom of page 3 with the second verse of I Love to Tell a Story. Please stand for today's gospel lesson. It comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Congregation may be seated. Join together in singing the hymn of the day, hymn 579 in the red hymnal, Lift High the Cross, hymn 579.
peace are yours from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It really matters how you send a message. The rule of thumb, I suppose, is if you're angry and you want to send someone a message, especially if you're emailing or texting, you can write your message, but let it go to your draft or your inbox for a while. And maybe a day later, then you can open it up, read it again, and see if you still want to send it. Because sending messages in the wrong way can certainly cause problems. Sending an angry message over text or email or however else you send your message oftentimes can be misconstrued and misunderstood and make a situation that maybe isn't so bad completely horrible. And so there are times when I see people who send a message and it comes off as angry, as mean, and as rude. And the message in reply is the same thing. It goes back and forth and back and forth, and no one's willing to concede their point. They both believe that they're right and they're entitled. Sending a message and how you send it is very important. I'll argue today, that's maybe one of the reasons why Christianity is dwindling. If you look at studies, there are millions of people who are no longer found in the pews, listening to God's word, worshiping together, You see from studies that young people, especially as they go away to college, as they gain their independence, all of a sudden they disappear and they're gone. And most of it is perhaps how we send a message. How we send the message to them specifically. And that's what spurred Paul to write this letter to Philemon. As we study the book of Philemon, a a book that only has one chapter, only a couple of verses, we see how important Paul feels the message that he sends to this man truly is. Because Paul finds himself, before he wrote this letter, in a very difficult situation. Paul was imprisoned in Rome. He was on house imprisonment. He was waiting a trial because he was preaching the gospel and and his accusers accused him of doing something wrong. So he was waiting there, not able to go out and be with his Christians, to be with his churches. He was stuck. But during his time in Rome, there came a man named Onesimus. Onesimus was a man who was a slave. A slave who ran away from his slave master and likely stole some stuff as he he traveled all the way to Rome to be with Paul. And as Paul got to know who Onesimus was, as Paul preached the gospel to Onesimus, Onesimus became a Christian. For the first time, this slave, Onesimus, realized how valuable he really was. Not just to God, but also to fellow Christians. That he was valuable to the body of Christ. And Paul was the one to show him that. And Paul, he says in his letter, came to really love Onesimus. He even says that while I was in chains, Onesimus became my son. This man was like a son to Paul. But Paul being one of the leaders of the Christian church back then, found himself in a dilemma. Here is a slave who ran away from his master. Remember, slavery at that time, it was fine. It was, the government approved it all. And so a, a master owned their, their slaves, and they treated them as possessions. And so here this possession of this slave master had run away, taken from the master, and here in Paul's care... What does he do? Because what he does next is going to send a message. It's going to send a message not only to Onesimus, not only to Philemon, the the slave master, the owner, but to all the Christians who hear about what would happen just there. So you're in Paul's shoes. What would you do? Here you have a slave who has now become a Christian. Not only that, but the slave master himself is a Christian, an active one at that. So if you're Paul, what would you do? Perhaps, being Paul and being a leader of the church, Paul can turn around and say to Philippian, you treat this man, Onesimus, your slave, correctly. You treat him not as a slave, but as a brother. Do it, because this is what God wants you to do. 
He could have turned to Onesimus and said, You stole. You make sure you pay back what you owe to your master. Paul could have done that. He could have stood up and told everyone exactly what he wanted to happen. He could have done it. But he didn't. I suppose Paul could have played naive and just allowed Onesimus to stay with him. Because as we will read, Onesimus was valuable to to Paul's work there. He was valuable to the gospel, Paul says. Useful for the gospel for me. And maybe he could have overlooked it and said, well, slavery isn't a good thing. So the end justifies the means. But he didn't. He could have turned to Onesimus and said, you have to go back. You have to go back to your master and you face the consequences for what you did because here, these are the rules. Even though they aren't correct, this is what you must do. He could have done that and Onesimus, this slave, would have faced severe consequences for stealing, for running away. But he didn't do that. He didn't stand up and use his authority that he certainly could have used. He didn't overlook the situation, trying to to avert his eyes from the sin that happened saying the end justifies the means. He wasn't heartless in sending Onesimus back. Instead, Paul takes a completely different approach to how to solve the problem. In doing it, he sends a message. Not only to Philemon and Onesimus, but to Christians as a whole. Listen to what he says, starting at verse 8 of Philemon. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. So Paul is saying, I could do this. I could order Philemon to do exactly what he wants. Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So he appeals to Philemon. He lowers level, level the, the, the playing field. He levels himself with Philemon. He says, I can pull rank here. I can tell you, but I'm going to stand on your own level, and I'm going to appeal you, to you. Why? Because I love Onesimus. And you begin to see the brilliance of what Paul is writing here. He begins to build up this slave to no longer be a slave but someone who is valuable. He goes on to say in verse 11, Formerly he was useless to you. Here's a play on Onesimus' name. His name means useful. But formerly Onesimus was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. This slave, for the first time, truly saw his usefulness. In Christ, he saw how useful he was not only to Paul, but all, to all believers, to the body of Christ, to the gospel. And so Paul turns around to Philemon, who would know just how useful the gospel is. And he says, this child of God is finally useful. He finally understands that God and Christ has forgiven all of his sins. He has become useful not only to me, Paul says, but to you, Philemon. Then verse 12, he says, shockingly, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. That's a bold move by Paul. Because sending a slave back who has run away not only could mean the harsh punishment, but could also mean death. Slave masters were legally able to kill their slaves as punishment for what they have done. And so Paul, even though he loves this Onesimus, this slave, this person, this child of God, he says to him, you're going to go back to Philemon. Because, well, you're his at this point. Even though the law is wrong, you're going to go back and you're going to be useful to him as you once were. Because, well, the Ten Commandments says... Love your neighbor and everything that they own. Encourage one another to stay and be useful 
this very person that Paul loved seemed he sent into certain death. But you begin to see what Paul is doing here in verses 13 through 14. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me. So he's saying to Philemon, this Onesimus was useful to me while I'm in chains for the gospel. I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. There's the heart of it. You see, our culture, our times, and the, the world in general, we're bold and we're brash. If we know we're right, we're going to let people know that we are right. We're going to stand firm our, on our convictions and not move and force other people to see our way of thinking. And if you look through history, you see how it's been done. As Conquering nations come in and destroy cities. They tear down their most valuable parts of the city, their altars, their, their statues, and they put up their own. They force them let their, themselves into their own culture, into other cultures. They force themselves to be the people who are right. They're bold and brash. And you see how polarizing that can be. How one group can be certain that they are right, and the other just as certain, and neither one willing to move. But here we see Paul, he makes an appeal. Not to change the outward actions, not to put down rules for Philemon saying, you must do this, and you must do that, and you shouldn't do this. He doesn't become legalistic and say, you've got to obey all these rules in order to receive Onesimus back. Instead, he's trying to change something else. He's not trying to immediately change the outward actions. Instead, he's going straight for Philemon's heart. As he says, I don't want you to do this out of compulsion. I don't want you to feel the pressure to do this. But I want this to be spontaneous. That's something totally different from the, what the world preaches. Don't we want to force people to do what we want? We tell them, you must do. Yet here, Paul, at every step, uses the appeal of the gospel. At every step, he appeals to Philemon, not on the basis that Paul is, is able to tell Philemon what to do, but on the basis that Philemon, just like Paul and just like Onesimus, are objects of God's love. That each one of them has received the same blessing and the same treasure because God paid for their sins. And so, he says this, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother. You notice, Paul doesn't tell Philemon, slavery is bad. But Paul tells Philemon, slavery is bad. He doesn't use those very words, but he's, he's using words to point to Philemon, to point out just who he is as a Christian and who Onesimus is as a Christian and, and the reason why he should love his slave. It's said that you can change how people act outwardly. But it's so very difficult to change an idea. You can force people to do what you want, but you can't force them to not do it regretfully or with disdain. And here's the brilliance of Paul's message. He's not forcing Philemon to do anything at all. Instead, he's appealing to the idea. He's appealing to the concept, appealing to his faith, changing his attitude, which then changed his actions. Not only that, but then he stands himself up 
between Philemon and Onesimus, and he says in verse 17, If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write, knowing you will do even more than I ask. Paul was confident that his message would get through. That's why he was willing to send his dear son, Onesimus, back. Confident that Philemon would love Onesimus as a Christian brother. Confident that Onesimus would love his master as a Christian brother. We look at this and we wonder, maybe this is why our pews become empty, generally speaking. Maybe this is why children, at the moment that they become independent, are willing to run away from the gospel. Because maybe we send them the wrong message. Maybe we, like those scenarios with Paul, tell our children, you must act this way, you must listen to me, I am your parent, do this, do that, because this is how God wants us to act. Or maybe we overlook everything and say, well, they'll figure it out on their own, they'll deal with it. I'm not going to bother with it. But how valuable it is, we bring that gospel appeal and show them why it's valuable. Show them why it's important for their lives. So that they're, they're not there just doing the actions regretfully. And they're, they're not just following your orders begrudgingly. But they come to understand the true value of what they're receiving. The appeal of the gospel. And this is what it is. Here's the step back and you see the example of what Christ has done. See... You and I were all slaves, slaves to sin. You and I were were broken away from our master by our own actions, our own deeds. We certainly deserve death because of them. And yet Christ found us. He's given us the gospel. He's changed our hearts where now we, we see the value of what God has done for us and the blessings of his commandments and the greatness of his love. And he sends us back to the master, not alone, but he stands there, just like Paul stood before Onesimus and Philemon. And Jesus stands there and he says, not only am I willing to pay for their wrongs, but I will pay for their wrongs. And I have paid for their wrongs. So that as we approach our Heavenly Father, you and I are no longer slaves, no longer outcasts, no longer in danger of death. But brothers and sisters of Christ and sons and daughters of God. He did that very appeal to us. He appealed to us in that way, not telling us what we need to do, but what Christ has done for us. And so we can use that not only for our children, not only for our family and friends, not only for our co workers, but for every single person. Certainly, we can stand up and be right. Certainly we can say, this is what God wants, and you must obey it. Or we can come with that appeal of the gospel. This isn't the only time Paul did this. He went to a city one time, and there he found many idols. He didn't go in tearing down each idol saying, these are all wrong. Let me put up my God before you. You obey what he says. Instead, he went through all those idols and he found one. The idol to the unknown God. And through it, he appealed the gospel. He said to those unbelieving people there, Do you know who this God is? Do you know what he expects? And and using even sinful idols, he appealed to them in their hearts, changing them from inside out. Changing first their hearts and their attitudes, which led 
them changing their actions and deeds. How we send a message is important, isn't it? How we share God's gospel is important. We don't want to simply be right. We don't want to simply win an argument. We want to appeal on behalf of the gospel. Even if it means setting ourselves up between a, a, a child and their faith and saying, I'm going to do everything I can for you to show you how valuable this is for your life. It's not just rules. These are your life. And from there, the moment a child becomes independent, the ideas are already born. Faith is already there. And from that, their actions, their deeds, their words will follow. What an amazing thing that Christ appealed on our behalf. Lowering himself to be just like you and me. Dying in our place. Giving us his righteousness for our unrighteousness. Taking our sin and giving us forgiveness. And there's the value. That's the appeal. We all need that. Let's appeal on behalf of that. Not the law. That's the appeal of the gospel. May we make that appeal every day of our lives. Through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand. We continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed printed for you on the bottom of page 4 in your bulletin. We confess. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Congregation may be seated. This time we'll collect our offering. If you are a visitor, do not feel obligated to give an offering, but give it out of the joy of your hearts. time we'll sing hymn 143 found your beige hymnal hymn 143 his eyes on the sparrow
please stand for prayers. We pray this all in your name, dear Lord. Amen. We join together in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now go in peace, live in harmony with one another, and serve the Lord in gladness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Congregation may be seated. We'll join together in singing the closing hymn printed for you in your bulletin, Go Now in Peace, on page 5 in your bulletin.